Welcome back to Stories New and Old with me, Alyssa. Today, I'm very excited to share the story of old Captain Samuel Fishhook Mulford and describe to you how this man took on the English crown in the name of free trade for the whalers of Long Island. So, as always, let's start with how I got interested in this topic. If you've been listening to the podcast for a little while now, you know that whenever I pick out a topic, there is likely a fun backstory to go with it. For the topic of good old Fishhook Mulford, I have to give credit to my father. I very much get my love of fascinating historical stories from him, and one story that he likes to tell that stands out in my mind is about a guy named Fishhook Mulford. I'm not really sure how my father first got exposed to this story, but once I started doing my research, I found that Fishhook Mulford is a revered person in East Hampton, Long Island. There was even a parade with a reenactor of Fishhook Mulford, including little boys who played pickpockets walking by his side, and I will tell you more about that later. Today, we're going to learn about who Samuel Mulford was, why he was so upset about a particular tax that was levied on the American colonists, and the lengths that he was willing to go through to get it removed. The heart of this story is about never giving up, and it's very reminiscent of episode 9 on John Adams, so if you like this story, be sure to check out that other episode, which I will have linked for you in the show notes. All right, so let's get started. Who was Samuel Mulford? Well, he was born in 1644 in the United States on Long Island. His father was a very active person in the community, and he actually helped found the two towns that his family lived in while Samuel was growing up. Samuel became a whaling captain, and he held roles in the local community just like his father did. Now, what do I mean when I say that he was a whaling captain? Back in the day, whales were hunted to harvest their blubber, which was turned into oil for a bunch of different uses, but primarily you can think about lighting like whale oil lamps. And Samuel had a crew of 24 men who would go out in small boats to harpoon whales that were spotted off of the coast. Through my research, I learned that while Nantucket and New Bedford are often thought of as great whaling hubs, Long Island was a whaling center in its own right. In fact, in the early 1600s, when the Hamptons were being settled, the farmers who came here stumbled upon what ended up turning out to be a gold mine. I'm going to read you a quick excerpt from the book Long Island's Offshore Whaling, which was published in 1933. And I should say, I think this is a paper, not a full-on book, but I'm just working off of an excerpt. So the paper said, When they arrived by way of New England upon the stormy south shore of Long Island, they found a profitable trade lying ready to their hands. The rough winter waters of the Atlantic teemed with whales. After a storm, whales would be found stranded on the exposed beaches, and very shortly the newcomers discovered that friendly Indians, skilled in the capture of the great fish, could be hired for small wages to go out in their canoes and capture still more whales. And this became such an important business that anyone reporting a whale ashore was rewarded with 10 shillings. If anyone saw a whale and did not report it, he was to be whipped. If a whale should be sighted on the Lord's day, the reward was not payable. 
it was not seemly in those days even to walk upon the beach on the Sabbath. And if whales were strewn its entire length, no one would touch them on that day. So clearly, this was a huge industry, and it was like a community effort to identify these whales and to go after them. And in fact, I learned that they even had kids stay out of school during the whaling season from December to April because they needed every able-bodied person on the job. Now, back to Mulford, he continued to live on Long Island, and the old Mulford farmhouse is one of the nation's most significant, intact English colonial farmsteads, and it's a living museum today. Aside from being a whaler, Samuel was an important part of his community, and he served as a legislator in all of the governments of the colony of New York during his time. Okay, now remember when I said that Samuel got really wound up about a certain tax? Let's talk about how he went from a pretty standard 16th century man to someone that I'm willing to kind of sort of compare with John Adams. To set the stage for the tax we're going to talk about, I'd like to read you another excerpt. Whales, not tea, caused the first deep grievance between American colonists and their rulers. When in 1605, Dutch New Netherland became a royal English province under the Duke of York, the new government cast covetous eyes upon the whale fishery. Now, a long succession of governors tried to claim a share of each whale taken, either for themselves or for the crown. But the whalemen, who believed in fair trade, felt that this tax was unjust, and they had no issue smuggling their products to Boston and then from there to London, rather than going the length of Long Island to New York with the oil and there paying a tax. Now, even though some people were willing to do that, that's not what they were supposed to be doing. Um, and you've probably heard the phrase of taxation without representation. And that's exactly what was happening here and what got the people of New York so wound up. New York was finally granted a Royal General Assembly in 1691. And in 1705, Captain Mulford was one of the two representatives of Suffolk. And he was in his 60s at the time. The grievances of the people, as communicated by Old Mulford, came down to two key things. The first was that they did not have a port of entry close at hand so that they could trade with New England or with the mother country. They had to first journey to New York's port, um, which was over 100 miles away, for clearance, which is why I was saying before that some of them decided, eh, we're just going to smuggle it and go the more direct route. The second thing that Mulford was advocating for was freedom from the law that put a 5% tax on whale oil and forced whalemen to take out a license in order to be whalers. So what did Mulford decide to do about these issues? Well, first, he tried to get things resolved by communicating with the Crown through the Assembly. And in 1714, Mulford made a speech before the General Assembly in New York City where he denounced the port of New York. He talked about how ships were not only being levied with heavy duties, but that an entire ship would be seized if one article on board was not properly declared. 
During the speech, he said, Not any man is fit for master of a vessel to go to New York, except he were a lawyer. And then they should not escape, except it was by favor. So what he is saying here is that you literally have to be a lawyer to figure out all of the different rules and regulations just to sail with your goods from one place to another through the port of New York. The speech caused so much uproar that the assembly was dissolved and a new one was chosen. Um, and Mulford was, was part of it again. Um, in June of 1715, Mulford was called before the new assembly, who demanded that he declare the content of the infamous speech false. And Mulford replied, the worst of it is it was too true. So he was expelled from the assembly. Um, and because he was expelled, a seat was now opened up. They had to have an election. And who should win? But old Mulford was voted right back in. So he was back in business. So the people of Long Island loved him. Now, unfortunately, he was still not making progress by working through the assembly. He became so fed up that he decided he needed to go directly to appeal to Parliament and the king himself. In 1716, Mulford kind of disappeared. Now, what actually happened was that he told his wife, listen, I need to go and see the king and talk about this situation. I'm very wound up about this, but I don't want anyone else to know what I'm doing. So you're not going to believe the level of secrecy that he went to. So at 72 years old, he quietly took a boat from East Hampton to New London, Connecticut, and then he got in a coach and went to Newport, Rhode Island. Then he got on a horse and he went through the woods to Boston. And only when he made it to Boston did he finally get on a ship that was headed to London. He didn't want anyone to know what he was up to. And so he was really covering his tracks here. So now let's pick up our story when he has made it to London. I am going to say that it gets a little bit difficult to draw the line between fact and legend in some of what I'm about to tell you, but... I think this is true, and my research is pretty wide-ranging that this is the, the commonly agreed-upon story of what happened when old Mulford made it to London. So the first day that he shows up in London, he was pickpocketed, and he went to the authorities, and he was like, hey, somebody stole from me, and they were like, eh, okay, too bad, so sad. <laughs> no one was willing to do anything about it. Now, old Mulford, as we know, was a very passionate and crafty person, so he decided to sew fish hooks into his pockets to catch the next pickpocket by surprise. Little old 72-year-old Mulford went the next day to the gates of the king's residence, where he was waiting to get an audience with the king with a crowd of other people. A man next to him at the gates let out a high-pitched scream. The man was bloody on his hands and he was arrested uh, because he was trying to pickpocket Mulford uh, but had gotten caught on those fish hooks and the incident was written up in the newspapers. Shortly thereafter, legend has it, Mulford got his audience with the king and he was henceforth known as Old Captain Fishhook Mulford. Can you imagine this? The king being like, oh wow, this is really funny. Like, Get this guy in here. I want to talk to him. Now, unfortunately, it wasn't as easy as just having one conversation with the king to make all of the changes that he wanted. Mulford ended up staying in London for three 
years. Now, when I think about this, it kind of brings me back to that story of John Adams and all of the time spent trying to get audiences with the right people. It was really tough to be a a man coming from America and attempting to make the Europeans listen to you. Uh, Now, for Mulford, at first, he appeared before the House of Commons and he read a speech he called a memorial, which was a bold denunciation of the misrule of the governor of New York, his corruption and his burdensome taxes, particularly, as we know, the whale oil tax. Mulford said, you know, this tax is completely unfair. He points out that they were already given the rivers, lakes, ponds, brooks, streams, harbors, and other waters in the town in a declaration in 1686. So he's like, we're already we're already supposed to have the ability to use all of these waterways. So how can it be that we're now paying a tax on top of what we've already been given? So after talking to Parliament and the King and going on a crusade all around London, he was finally referred to an investigative board, and this board asked Mulford for proof of all of these allegations. The board took Mulford seriously, and they looked through his proof, and they were like, oh damn, this is not good. So they instructed the royal governor in New York to encourage the whaling men in their free trade. The governor was so mad about this that he said, It is amazing that after all I have sent to the lords of trade, to the agents and others relating to that poor, crazed man Mulford, I should still be laid under a necessity of sending answers to such odd, groundless complaints. All I want now is to come home and settle this matter personally. So the governor is like so upset that he's continuing to be questioned by quote unquote crazy Mulford. And throughout this time, Mulford is able to make his case very clearly. And with this, he decided, all right, it's time for me to head home in 1719. Sadly, by the time he came back, his wife had died, but he did get married again. And remember, this is a guy well into his 70s now. In 1720, the tax on whale oil was removed, and then soon after that, Sag Harbor was declared an official port of entry to the American colonies, which meant that goods being shipped out from Long Island no longer had to make that long trek to the corrupt New York and deal with those customs officials. So, After all of these efforts, Mulford was able to achieve his objective. He got the whale tax taken care of, and he got the allowance that the people of Long Island did not have to go through the port in New York City before going elsewhere. That is the story of how Samuel Mulford became known as Old Fishhook Mulford and what he was willing to go through and fight for to secure free trade for the whalers of Long Island. I just I love this story because it has every element of drama and excitement. I mean, we have people traveling, we have Mulford putting fish hooks into his pockets to catch the thieves, uh, and we ultimately have a happy ending for the whalers of Long Island. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Stories New and Old podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow me on Instagram to get teasers for new episodes, and you can check out my blog for more great content. 
If you're so inclined, please rate and review this episode as it helps me come up with new ideas and is a wonderful way for you to support the podcast. Thanks for listening to Stories New and Old with me, Alyssa. I will see you next time. Thank you.